So the last time I spoke, I said, oh my goodness, it's so daunting having to go after John Tucker, but I didn't really consider how it would feel, you know, having to go today after the awesome service we had last week. Um, Farewelling Shannon, Holly and Lexi. Um, But I'd like to start by saying thank you so much to all of you who were here last week, to those of you who came along, who brought a plate of food, to those who served in the kitchen, getting everything out, to those who helped set up, those who helped pack down. You all, all of your involvement made it a really great service, a sad service, but a really great service, and it ran all the more smoothly thanks to everyone's involvement. So thank you all very, very much for that. Um, This morning we are continuing with our series on Baptist distinctives, and I'm continuing on from Shannon in talking about robust leadership, Um, and within that, what it means to transition well, or what it can look like to transition well as we go through this season of change now that Shannon has left. And I wanted to start by sharing um, a little story with you. So one year at Queen's birthday weekend, like quite a few years ago, I think it was maybe 2014 or so, Shannon took one of the seminar slots um, and he was doing a seminar on leadership. And I can still remember the seminar today, which is quite remarkable because there's not a lot of like seminars or, you know, things like that that I retain. It's a bit difficult, you know. Um, But I remember that one very clearly. And one of the kind of key messages that came out of that seminar was that Shannon said that one of the most important important things about being a leader is about being replaceable. So that is to say that leadership isn't about spiraling everything really tightly around yourself so that you're the center of it all and the one that holds all things together. Because then, if or when it's your time to leave, everything can unravel and it becomes a great big mess if we've done that. And so he said at his seminar, it's important as a leader to make yourself replaceable. And I remember thinking, well, doesn't that just mean that you kind of just do a bad job? Because, you know, a bad, someone doing a bad job is easily replaceable, isn't it? You know, you set the bar really low, so you can never be disappointed, and that sort of thing. Because, yeah, to me, an easily replaceable leader is a bad one, someone who's not, probably not doing, doing much. Because no one wants to replace a good leader, do we? A good leader should really take away the need for replacing them. But the seminar, they said one of the most important things about being a good leader is being replaceable, making yourself replaceable. And in the seminar, Shannon said, he explained that this doesn't mean that you've got to be a bad leader who sets the bar low and only barely meets it. Being a replaceable leader means being humble and carrying vision. When you're humble, you recognize that you're not the be-all and end-all. The game will continue beyond you. And when you carry vision, you see the rest of that game, the rest of what's to come beyond yourself and your involvement in it. And you can work to grow and develop and empower those around you who will pick up and carry that vision beyond you when you no longer can. That's what it means to be a replaceable leader. 
So in that seminar all those years ago, Shannon taught me the importance of being a replaceable leader, but he also has taught me that in his eight and a half years here. He lived that lesson in the way that he led. He was humble and he had a willingness to carry vision. He made himself replaceable. And in doing so, he's already set up this transition when he's had to move on. He's already set up this transition to be a success. And I am so, so very grateful to God for the time that we had Shannon here at, with us at Ham South. I'm so thankful for the change that he inspired, the vision that he shared with us, and the way that he kept focused on Jesus through his time. And I'm really going to miss working with my friend, but I'm reminded each day that God is still working with us that Shannon going doesn't mean that things unravel or that things are over, but God is still working with us as the congregation of himself. And so we need to keep looking forward and keep pressing on towards God's kingdom come in this community. So Shannon ended his sermon last week sharing a passage from Joshua 3, which I'd like to share again and continue with today. So this is from Joshua 3 verses 14 to 17, if you want to go there with me. So starting verse 14. So the people left their camp to cross the Jordan, and the priests who were carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. It was the harvest season, and the Jordan was overflowing its banks. But as soon as the feet of the priests who were carrying the Ark touched the water at the river's edge, the water above that point began backing up a great distance away at a town called Adam, which is near Zerethan. And the water below that point flowed on to the Dead Sea until the riverbed was dry. Then all of the people crossed the Jordan near the town of Jericho. Meanwhile, the priests who were carrying the Ark of the Lord's Covenant stood on dry ground in the middle of the riverbed as people passed by. They waited there until the whole nation of Israel had crossed the Jordan on dry ground. So speaking of transitions, imagine being Joshua here, having to follow in Moses' footsteps. I mean, Moses is one of the greats, if not one of the greatest of the greats in terms of Bible characters. And here's young Joshua. He was just an assistant to Moses who's asked by the Lord to step in as leader after Moses has died. And Joshua must have understandably been quite nervous about this transition because in the start of the book of Joshua, God has to remind him four times to be strong and courageous as he prepares him to take over the role as Israel's leader. And Joshua, he does, he heeds that instruction and he is strong and he is courageous and he begins to gather the Israelites together and get them set up to carry on towards the land that God has promised them. And I mean, Moses really hasn't left Joshua in an easy spot. It's not like he's left them with just one last flat kilometer to walk through. Instead, he's left them on the brink of the Jordan River at harvest season, where the river overflowing is overflowing its banks and it's really blocking their path. 
So I imagine Joshua was probably quite relieved when he receives word from the Lord about how things would kind of progress forward. I imagine that trying to work out the logistics of how they would get an entire nation across a raging river was proving to be a bit of a head scratcher for them. And so in, from verse 9 to 14 is what, um, what the Lord instructs them to do. And this is one of my favorite passages. In verses, from verse 9 to 14, Joshua invites the Israelites to come and listen to what the Lord God says. Today you will know that the living God is among you. Look, the Ark of the Covenant, which belongs to the Lord of the whole earth, will lead you across the Jordan River. The priests will carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth. As soon as their feet touch the water, the flow of water will be cut off upstream and the river will stand up like a wall. So as soon as the feet of those carrying the ark of the covenant, the symbol of God's presence with them, as soon as their feet touch the raging waters of the Jordan River, their path through this obstacle, would be made clear. How remarkable is that? I mean, just as an aside, how often have you in your own life found this to be the case? I mean, I know that there's certainly times when I've found this to be the case, when there's something new happening, something that I'm unsure of, something that's unknown, something that I haven't done before, and it looks like a huge obstacle, like a massive wall, something sort of insurmountable. And I just don't know how I'm going to do it. How do I even start that? How do I even face that? How do I begin to navigate that? How do I even think about doing that? And God just says, go. And then I'm like, definitely no. But then God says, go. And so you reluctantly say, oh, well, I guess I better go then. And then that moment, the precise moment that you face this insurmountable challenge, the moment that you dip your toe into the water, the wall comes down, the obstacle that you saw is removed or made so small, and there is space now for you to navigate this, for you to start this, for you to begin this, for you to make some headway. The path is made clear and God makes a way. I mean, people have been asking me how I'm feeling about this transition with Shannon going, and it's a little bit like this. I don't really know what it's going to be like. I don't really know exactly what's going to happen or what exactly it's going to look like, but here I am. I'm ready to dip my toe in the water to see where God is taking us, to see what God is doing because I know that he has a plan and I trust him that he's going to keep us on the right track. So carrying this vision, which Joshua had invited the Israelites to listen to and to join in on, the Israelites were able to start boldly moving forward to cross the Jordan. The priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant led the people on their way and when they reached the raging Jordan, and the priests put their feet in the water at the river's edge, the water stops flowing. It backs up way upstream from them, and it forms a great wall of water, allowing what's left in the river to flow on and dry up the riverbed for them to cross on. Now, the Jordan River, it isn't nearly as big as our own mighty Waikato River, but it provides 
Jordan, the country with 50 million cubic meters of water, which is the same amount of water that the Waikato River is now providing for Auckland City. And so we can assume that the Jordan River has a fairly decent flow to it. And I just imagine, what if our river was stopped in its tracks? I mean, it's not that hard to imagine because we have a lot of dams, don't we? But imagine if you couldn't see the dams and instead the water just stood up. What if the dams were glass? Maybe that's a better way. But, and you couldn't see what was holding them back. And there was just a giant wall of water there. And I mean, it would just be kind of standing over you, waiting. You'd be waiting for it to just break down and cause a whole lot of strife. And I mean, I'm not that good even with kind of medium-sized waves at the beach. Like, I find them a little bit, a little bit daunting at times. So I don't think I'd cope very well with a giant wall of water standing over me. I mean, also, another point on this is who wants to see, like, the riverbed of the Waikato River? I mean, if you start imagining what might be down there, you probably shouldn't. But um, luckily, they were crossing the Jordan River at a time, fairly early, kind of in time. So I imagine it wasn't too polluted by then. They might not have come across anything too sinister. But anyway, the picture that this paints, the picture that this passage paints is quite just kind of quite surreal and hard to imagine in reality a giant wall of water, a dry riverbed where it's usually at harvest time overflowing its banks. But Joshua did tell the Israelites that that day they would know that the Lord their God was with them. This experience, the Israelites, they've heard about this because this shadows the experience of Moses parting the Red Sea, making the water stand up like a wall and drying up the seabed to make a path. And who else could do that? For the Israelites, who else could do that? And it was none other than the Lord, the Lord of all the earth. So the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant are now in the water, or at least where the water should be, and a dry path has been made for the Israelites to cross the Jordan without trouble. The passage says that then all of the people crossed the river near the town of Jericho, but the priests who were holding the ark stayed where they were, standing in the middle of the riverbed until the whole nation of Israel had crossed the Jordan on dry land. The whole nation of Israel crossed the Jordan that day, all of them together. The narrative continues through chapter 4, which I'll just jump through quickly now. It says, When all of the people had crossed the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Now choose twelve men, one from each tribe. Tell them, take twelve stones from the place where the priests are standing in the middle of the Jordan. Carry them out and pile them up at the place where you will camp tonight. So, Jordan, so Joshua called together the twelve men he had chosen and told them, Each of you must pick up one stone and carry it out on your shoulder. We will use these stones to build a memorial. In the future, your children will ask, what do these stones mean? Then you can tell them they remind us that the Jordan River stopped flowing when the Ark of the Lord's Covenant went across. These stones will stand as a memorial among the people of Israel forever. 
So the men did as Joshua had commanded them. Joshua also set up another pile of 12 stones in the middle of the Jordan, at the place where the priests stood, and they are there to this day. The priests who were carrying the ark stood in the middle of the river until all of the Lord's commands that Moses had given to Joshua were carried out. Meanwhile, the people hurried across the riverbed, and when everyone was safely on the other side, the priests crossed over with the ark of the Lord as the people watched. The Lord had said to Joshua, command the priests carrying the ark of the covenant to come up out of the riverbed. So Joshua gave the command. And as soon as the priests came up out of the riverbed and their feet were on high ground, the water of the Jordan returned and overflowed its banks as before. The nation of Israel crossed over the Jordan River together that day, led by those carrying the Ark of the Covenant, the symbol of God's presence with them. Together they listened to God's word. They listened for his instruction, and together they carried out his commands. The priests who carried the ark boldly put their feet into the raging waters, acting in faith and clearing a dry path for the Israelites to cross over on. Together they crossed and then together they remembered their remarkable journey over the Jordan by building a memorial together. And in their memorial, everyone was recognized Everyone was represented by their tribes. And then as the nation of Israel looked on together, Joshua gave the command for the ark to be carried up out of the riverbed. And as soon as their feet were on dry ground, the great wall of water that was backed up came down and the river began to flow again, as it always had. This part of Israel's narrative is not just a celebration of the greatness of Joshua as their new leader, nor is it to say, oh, phew, Israel might just survive Moses dying. This part of Israel's narrative is simply another step on their way towards the promised land, and this part is led by Joshua. But what I do really love about this particular passage, this particular part of the narrative, is that there is real togetherness and unity amongst the tribe of Israel. Joshua is their leader, but he's not the only one doing anything. He hears God's word and he shares it with the people, but he invites them into listening with him as well. And they go on together. They listen together so that they can go on together. Joshua continues listening to God's word and sharing it with the Israelites. And the priests, they do their part. They carry the Ark of the Covenant. They step into the water, take that first step. And the Israelite people, they cross willingly together, eagerly moving on towards where God is taking them. And then together they take part in building this memorial to remember God's awesome work in delivering them safely across the Jordan. And then they stand together on the other side, ready for the ark to be brought up out of the riverbed so that their journey can continue. This part of Israel's story is about moving together, listening to God together, and about each person playing their part. And this is what I would really like to see 
for Ham South in this new season. We are talking about the Baptist vision of leadership, and that means discerning the mind of Christ together as a body. The Baptist way is about is all about going together, and that's also what I'm all about. In the church discussions last year, um, when we were considering a new pastor and what that might look like, some highlighted this picture of a pastor as this powerful, flashy leader who was probably a lot older than I am and probably male. This kind of leader who had traveled all of the way, who would have been to all of the places and would be able to kind of stand way out the front and be like, I know where we're going. Come, follow me. And I mean, you've probably realized by now that that's not me. I don't fit that description. Because you know who that powerful leader is that people spoke about in those church meetings? It turns out that we already have that leader and we always have had that leader and it's Jesus. Jesus is the head of this body of believers, this congregation which we call himself. And as each of you are a part of this body, I also am just as much a part of this body. It's not a me leading you thing, but it's an us going together kind of thing. We're all together followers of Jesus, and he's the one who's out the front saying, I know what I'm doing. Come follow me. And so we go together. We walk together with one another, and we walk with Jesus. I've talked about this before. Following Jesus isn't about just kind of dawdling behind him as he goes on. Following Jesus is about walking with. And I mean, the Bible doesn't really say a lot about the exact formation of how Jesus walked with his disciples. But what it does describe is that in the moments when they weren't walking, and in some moments when they were, they were gathered. They were maybe eating, sometimes sleeping, maybe praying, maybe talking. They were gathered together, the disciples with Jesus and Jesus with his disciples. He was teaching him. They were learning and they were trying new things. They were invited into Jesus' world to live with him and walk with him. And we are all invited now to do the same. It's not just me walking with Jesus and then telling you how to do it. My prayer is that we all walk with Jesus together. We are the body of Christ moving together. This is a collective. We are led by Jesus together, and I just happen to be called to be a leader amongst the body. And as a leader within the body, that means that I'm called to encourage and to activate and cast vision and to kind of make sure we're sticking, keeping on track with sticking to that vision. And maybe sometimes that means I'm the one who has to dip my toe into the water first but it means that I don't go alone, or I hope that I don't go alone. I hope that I will get to walk with all of you as well. I really appreciated last week that Shannon essentially called where Josh and I live the promised land. I mean, usually with Shannon, that sentiment is reserved only for that terrible place beyond the Bombays. 
but I also thought that was a real win for our neighborhood. I mean, there's probably not many who'd be going around saying, Beta's the promised land. But I hope, I mean, I would, I like living there. And I hope that maybe here at Ham South, we can grow to kind of see it in that way too. Canaan was the land that God was leading the Israelites into. That was their promised land. And here, Beda, Denwell, Fitzroy, um, Glenview, everywhere else in the south of Hamilton, those are the lands that God is leading us into in this season. And so doesn't that make the south of Hamilton Ham South's promised land, going on that logic? But I mean, I live in Beda, but I only live on one street and one house. I myself, as a person, I can't go to all of these places. And I, as one person, can't meet all of these people in these places. I need your help. I need this community's help in carrying this vision. For the tribe of Israel, things didn't fall apart when Moses died because Moses had made himself a replaceable leader. Even Moses, one of the greatest of the greats, was replaceable. And he was replaceable because he was humble and he carried vision. So when he died, his assistant Joshua was able to pick right up where he left off. And he was able to continue to carry that vision for Israel, leading them into the promised land. Joshua 4 verse 14 says, That day the Lord made Joshua a great leader in the eyes of all of the Israelites. And for the rest of his life, they revered him as much as they had revered Moses. In the eyes of the Israelites, Joshua was revered, but not because he was a big, flashy, powerful leader, but because they respected him and they trusted him. They saw that Joshua carried their vision, the vision for the tribe of Israel. It was the vision that they had shared in, that they listened to together. And they knew that because Joshua invited them into doing that and into living it out. And here at Ham South, things shouldn't fall apart now that Shannon has left because Shannon graciously made himself a replaceable leader. He was a humble leader who carried our vision, Ham South's vision, not his own. And he did an excellent job of carefully listening to and inspiring us all with that vision. He did such an excellent job, in fact, that now in his absence, we will be able to continue on with our journey into our own promised land that is the south of Hamilton. But the responsibility isn't, and it can't be all mine. The vision of this place isn't mine to carry alone. As a Baptist church, we recognize and we value robust leadership as the priesthood of all believers, that we are all vital parts of Christ's body who can hear from God and who can carry his vision for this place. And as Christ's body here on earth, we are then called to carry out that vision together. Amongst us, I just happen to be specifically called to be a leader within this body, a leader who preaches and teaches. 
But I wonder what your calling within this body is that will aid us as we carry out our vision.